Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around. Oh, get that car out of my way. I want to ride my bike today. We have representatives of bike co-ops and a journalist from Streets Blog Chicago to talk about bike co-op spaces today. It's very exciting because bike co-ops are inherently exciting. I think that bike co-ops are all about so much of what make bikes such a symbol of solutions. Self-reliance is a big one and access to transportation. Well, let's start with whoever wants to talk. Eli, you're with Common Wheels. I'm one of the mechanics with Common Wheels Bike Co-op here in Boston, Massachusetts. I've been with the organization for about three years now. It's been a lot of fun. I've got a background with some different organizations, different government doing bike outreach. And this program has definitely been the best one that I've worked with so far. Is that your kid? <laughs> it's my kid. <laughs> Sorry, let me. Amber, why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm a freelance writer. I contribute to Streets Blog Chicago. I live in the western suburbs, but I cover Chicago stories and the suburbs, transit and bicycling. And I wrote a story about the Bike Box, which is a co-op in the North Lawndale neighborhood of Chicago on the west side. And it's a lower income black neighborhood and they fix up old bikes and offer to fix people's bikes in the neighborhood for like really cheap. And they get a lot of donations and they also set up bike rentals for like youth groups and stuff like that. So they're really focused on getting people moving. Their two main mission statements are to help people get transportation and get where they need to go and also help get them physically moving. So sort of like a two for one kind of thing. So it's not exactly a bike co-op. It's like a hybrid. Yeah, it's a bike shop and they sell bikes for very cheap. So they sell kids bikes for $25 and adult bikes for $50. But they'll also work with the community to trade for services. Like if someone wants to help around, it's actually with an organization called Wyman which is Young Men's um, Educational Network. So anybody who is interested can offer their labor in exchange for bikes as well. So it's a community-oriented, mission, purpose-driven enterprise. And Luis, you're with the Bike Kitchen in Boston. Yeah, that's Dorchester, right. Dorchester, which is Boston. Yeah, Dorchester, which is Boston. So yes, I'm a volunteer and staff at Dorchester Bike Kitchen and also the Somerville Bike Kitchen. The Dorchester Bike Kitchen started just recently this year open to the public maybe around March. And the Somerville Bike Kitchen that's north of Boston, that's been going since 2015. So kind of the experience from the Somerville Bike Kitchen informed what happened at the Dorchester Bike Kitchen. And then speaking of spaces, that's important to have a physical space for bike kitchen generally. Of course, you can do mobile ones for parts and all of those sorts of things to have a fully functional one. It's nice to have a physical space. And yeah, the Dorchester Bike Kitchen and the Sunroll Bike Kitchen both kind of exist because other nonprofits that had space ceded an area to the bike kitchen. And in the case of the Dorchester Bike Kitchen, the nonprofit Brain Arts Org, they operate the Dorchester Art Project. 
they lost their physical space. The rent went up and they were outbid by another business. And so that means the Dorchester Bike Kitchen also needs to figure out what's next. And I think this is kind of a common thing for bike kitchens because they tend to not be huge revenue generating enterprises. They tend to be more community driven volunteer organizations that are funded essentially by contributions from folks that use them. At least that's how we operate. So we're not particularly savvy in fundraising. So really all kind of community driven. So not really to support ourselves. We have to rely on kind of the community and other orgs. Yeah, and that's what makes Bike Co-op so interesting is they're just kept going by the people who use them. And Steve Campos in Northeast LA. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. How are you? How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. It's nice to meet everyone. Yeah, I'm doing good. (laughs) Thank you for the invite. I I didn't tell you that there would be other people until just now, I guess, huh? (laughs) No, I just don't know what to talk about. I guess the Bike Co-op here at Highland Park, Northeast LA... It was a big deal to get three dumpsters to collect stuff and make a decision to just throw away stuff and open up the space again. The landlord's been really, really nice to us and has allowed us to stay there. And you were just mentioning how prices go up. This landlord's really nice and he's keeping the rent pretty cheap. I found out from another person that was there 20 years ago, the place was only $500. And now it's $1,000 for this space in Los Angeles on a corridor of one of the streets of L.A. So, Even a 1000 is that's like prime real estate you got there. Yeah, it's possible with the bike sales and then having classes. The bike kitchen over here, uh, Fountain, has been really, really helpful. Yesterday, they called me and said, hey, we got a bunch of nice donated bikes. Do you guys want them to start off with wrenching, have decent bikes to fix and sell, and Great. hopefully get people in there? There's a lot of things, a lot of talk about what we want to do. The great thing is that everyone's just showing up. Everyone thought that place was dead. I think ownership mixed with obsession, compulsive disorder is the issue with a lot of co-op. Ownership's good, but then when you have one person that feels like they own the space, it kind of starts to diminish everything and ruin the space for everyone else. And nobody wants to have confrontations and deal with talking about how to exit people out of the co-ops properly without causing a balance shift in the space, I guess. It's always been interesting to see that co-ops have people coming in who are primarily college grads or people who've done the college route and are very good at organizing and putting people together. And I always notice something about the bike oven. It's kind of like a blue-collar co-op where a lot of people have a lot of dysfunctional issues and we're like trying to work with anyone that comes in. It's like, they want to volunteer, so let's let them. And we find out, oh, this guy likes to drink excessively. So it's one of the things that the oven, we need to start tapping down and removing it. People love to have a good time, and that's what the bikes are all about. But the space has gone from wrenching to there's now a TV and a couch at the place. That was the case before at the bike oven. You wanted to give the backstory on the bike oven. First, there was a bike kitchen. Then there was the bike wave in West L.A. Then in the Valley, it was the Valley Bikery. And then in Northeast L.A., you had the bike oven. And you guys were really active for many years. It started out in our friend's back garage. From there, it moved to a storefront. But the people changed. It was kind of interesting to see that, see the co-op be built out of a garage and into a space and join the meetings. I mean, I feel like I'm new to any kind of a collective organization with so many people and so many agendas that everyone wants to do different things. Well, you got it back. Yeah. So we ended up having to make a really drastic shift by 
basically just showing up and starting to dump things out of the trash. I mean, it's unfortunate the way it went. And there was a lot of good stuff in there, but it didn't all go to the trash. People who were helping, they're like, I want that. Like, dude, take it. And a lot of the people who were helping, they're like, but that's worth money. I was like, it was given to us for free. Let's just get it out of here. You know, I don't know. People have been obsessed with collecting things that were given to the bike oven for free. So it's hard to get an understanding of why this was a problem. There was stuff from the floor to the ceiling, from the back to the front. You couldn't walk in there. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty bad. You couldn't get in there. There was refrigerators with rotten food. There was vault safes with peanut butter in it and coffee. It was very strange. So is part of this what comes out of collective-run spaces? The way collectives are run, it's a special thing, right? Yeah, when it's funded by the people and it's very community organized, like before at the oven, anyone can walk in and vote. Like if you just happen to walk in, we don't know you, and it was open. And a lot of it shifted in the direction where like if there was no board, there was no leadership, the place just kind of existed because everyone liked bikes, I guess. It was really weird. It's definitely difficult to start a co-op and to keep it running with the donations of the community. How do you protect a space like that from its own people without having a board? I guess you do need rules and guidelines. Can it be a free place where people just come and contribute? Luis? Yeah, so Dorchester Bike Kitchen, Summerville Bike Kitchen, we're not 501c3. We're basically just volunteer-driven, no real formalism. And I think we've just been kind of lucky that we haven't had huge differences. But the main thing is just things get done depending on the passion or the interest of the people doing it. So in some cases, it does feel like certain projects get done because certain people have that interest, right? So in some cases, for example, there's some people who like leading rides, right? So if that person leaves a co-op and there's nobody who's into it, that just kind of simply doesn't happen. And then some people are more organized than others, right? So some people are like really into organizing. So then that gets organized. And luckily, we haven't had situations where people have very different opinions and it leads to conflict. It seems like we've managed to keep it fairly civil, but I think it's also we're maybe on the younger side. We're not yet at the board and rules and executive director. And so I think we're still kind of in infancy, even though the Summer of Kitchen has been around for five, six years now, but that's been my experience so far. So Amber, you're a journalist, I should say again, for anybody just tuning in with Chicago Streets blog. And you did a story on, what is it called? The Bike Box of North Londale? Yeah, it's called the Bite Box, and mm. it's with Y Men, Young Men's Educational Network. So that's already an established organization. They're not going to have these yes. issues. Yes, they've been around for, I think, going on 30 years now, almost. And they just started the Bike Box program basically in the beginning of the summer, started it, and then it really officially launched in September. And Robert Welch is the young man who is in charge of the bike box. He's a bike mechanic. And this has just been a dream of his ever since he was a kid to to be able to provide bikes to the community in this way. And it finally came to fruition. And they built the shop in a shipping container. It's a small little shop. It's basically big enough to store the bikes and tools and stuff. And it's been really successful so far. There's been a really great response from the community. A lot of people want to volunteer and be part of it and help out. And it's really fulfilling a need in the community because a lot of people can't afford cars. So bikes are a really great way for them to get around. And even in the winters, they're riding these bikes all year round. So, And you get some winter over there. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) 
Cool. Yeah. So Bike Box North Lawndale, which is in Chicago. Yes. If you're not from Chicago, you might not yes, know. Yes, it's, it's the west side of Chicago. Well, so. so that's one model. What would you call that? Like a social entrepreneurship mm. something? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's really community-based, and they also work with working bikes. So it's sort of like a trade between the two organizations if they have bikes that working bikes needs and vice versa because working bikes provides bicycles to other countries they're a nonprofit organization i believe and so they all work together and the working bikes helps bike box get parts at a good price you know bulk so it's really a great partnership they have yeah i've heard of working bikes that's interesting because in the Boston area, we have Bikes Not Bombs and Bikes Not Bombs has been around for about 30 years and they work a lot with international organizations shipping bikes and, and Bikes Not Bombs has been really instrumental and, and supportive of the Dorchester Bike Kitchen in particular. So yeah, so that feels like almost perfectly analogous to what you're talking about. That's very cool. When the Bike Kitchen got its own space in LA, I guess in 2004 or something, there was a retail bike shop across the street and it became known as the Bike District in that area at Heliotrope and Melrose in East Hollywood. And it seemed like they really fed off each other, having a bike shop nearby. So Eli, Common Wheels, do you want to tell us about Common Wheels? So Common Wheels is a 501c3 organization. So we're a nonprofit registered and all that stuff. We do have a volunteer-based board that oversees the general plan outline for what we're planning for the year. Just listening to everyone else talk, I definitely think that there's pluses and minuses to both models of a board versus the volunteer-led day-to-day stuff. I think with a board, there is better chance for long-term sustainability, which allows like people to come in and out with clearly defined roles and tasks, which helps. And also being a registered 501c3 allows us to apply for grants to help sustain us, donations, all that sort of fun stuff. As far as the day-to-day operations, Commonwheels is completely mobile. We don't have a physical location. We have a storage space that we don't work out of. We have a bike trailer, and we set up in parks and stuff. We put up a sign. We say, like, hey, come by. We've got tools. We don't have a ton of parts. We have some things like cables and housing, stuff like that, some brake pads. But, like, big parts, someone comes. We run through, hey, you're going to need a new cassette. You're going to need a new chain. We give them a list of a couple local bike shops that we like that have been supporting us. Shout out to Cambridge Bikes. Shout out to Alston Velo, Landry's, all good people that have been working to support us. And our thing is about teaching people how to maintain their bikes, demystifying bikes. So someone comes up, we say, oh, yeah, you're skipping just because you're cross-chaining. Here's what cross-chaining is. This is why it's not great you can avoid it that's awesome it'll lead to a longer life of your parts and it'll make it easier for you to ride you won't get that weird skipping and just kind of explaining stuff so that people will come and get help that they need get knowledge that they want it's one of those things it's very self-sustaining for open shops that we do i've had shops where like someone comes at the beginning of the shop and by the end of the shop they're teaching other people how to do things then they show up the next week to fix something else on their bike and then they're helping other people So just like building the community, making it an inclusive space. We don't do advocacy. There's a great organization in Boston that does that, Boston Cyclist Union, which we love them. We support them. That's not our thing. We're just there to help people ride their bikes. 
You know, I wish we could just have talks about stuff like cross-chaining on Bike Talk. Unfortunately, I don't know <laughs> anything about mechanical issues, but I could run the board. If you guys ever want to have a conversation about stuff like that, that'd be fun to do. Because that is a very common thing, the skipping that you're describing. Oh, yeah. Cross-chain, just quick overview, is you don't want to ride in big, big. So your big gear in your front, your big gear in the back, physically big gears, just because you want to kind of keep your chain as straight and parallel to the frame as possible. It's better transfer of power. So chains are meant to go in a straight line, not at an angle. So if you can keep your chain straight, if between your one, two, three gears in the front and whatever in the back, keep that as straight as possible. Gear ratios are repeated throughout the shifting system. So like something that feels good in like three, two is going to be the same as like two, four. Anybody disagree with that? Sounds about right. I think the chain is supposed to be straight. There is some flex to it, but it's not ideal. You're going to just ruin your chain. When you got some gear, everyone will do a variation of anything. You know, like, oh, look at this. Let's see what this gear does. I guess when you're learning how to ride. Yeah, sounds about right. You want to tell us some more stuff that people come in with? At the event, the funny part, people think it's a bike shop, and we have to tell them, like, no. And it's really bad. I don't know. There's something about everyone just volunteering and they feel like you don't want to turn everyone away, but you might just have to cut people short and be like, hey, look, we're volunteers. You have to come in when it's open. And it's always nice to kind of help people, but people come in with all kinds of things like, hey, do you guys sell records? <laughs> just like, do we? I was like, no, we should start selling records. Everyone who was there volunteering is like, that's a good idea. We'll just start doing that as well. You know? It's just quite interesting. Bike cables are loose. People just end up having to figure out how to take the derailleur off and just make it a single speed. Like, everyone's just doing that. The worst case scenario, you can make your bike into a single speed. If you know how, yeah. And it has yeah, to have the right dropouts, right? Yeah, you could do it with a derailleur and a cable reversed on the back end. And then you can just have a single speed with a derailleur. That's what a lot of people used to do. I and mean, we just didn't have parts. So we're like, all right, let's just do this. So we would show people how to reverse the cable on the back end. So it would pull the cable claw and just kind of have the jockey wheels out a bit. So yeah, different kinds of repairs. Yeah. So are people still doing fixies? I think so. Yeah. People like to ride in the fixies. It seems like it's a very difficult thing to do. It's for the young people only. Nobody wants to ride fixies if your knees are giving out already. I was wondering if it was a fad. Yeah, it probably was a fad. I remember the people who did, they're all in their 30s now, probably have kids. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things, like you see a grown adult riding a BMX bike. They're great, but it looks pretty <laughs> funny. What are the kids riding these days? Luis, Eli, Amber? Around Boston, I see a lot of kids riding like the 26-inch SC bikes, you know, the cruisers. Yeah. Uh, popping wheelies around town, yes. Isn't the Fixies with the 29ers? Is that what it is now? I think the big flyers that Luis is talking about are single speeds, but yeah, I feel like we see a lot of those. I think, you know, there's still a good number of fixed gear riders out there. Boston has a pretty strong but small messenger scene, and they're still out there on their fixed gears. I was walking down the street the other day, speaking of the 30-year-olds with kids, and I saw a guy riding a fixie with a little child seat mounted to his handlebars. Man, that's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. That's like that song, Deadhead Sticker on a Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just know yeah. that with the bike box, they tend to do a lot of mountain bikes because they are good for all weather conditions and stuff like that. And that's really people just need to get around when it's six inches of snow. 
<laughs> but I guess they do have some Schwins and Huffies as well. So there's nothing like a scene right now, is there? Like the Fixies was a scene. I think the Bike Life kids on the SE Flyers, I think that they get pushed to the side in our minds a little bit because we don't really think about them and you don't really see them unless you see all of them. There's definitely the Bike Life group in Boston that they'll ride around like 15 to 30 kids. And it's awesome. They take up the street. I love it. They're out there. They're having fun. They're living their lives. It's a good time. Yeah, it's like the BMX club, right? People who love those old classic GTs and stunt bikes. They got that in LA? I don't know. They look like big BMX bikes with big 29ers, like a BMX group ride. Yeah, they have a lot of fun, those guys. They're just like out there jumping on everything, foot planting on stuff randomly out of nowhere. It's really funny. Looks like a X game down the street. It gives you hope for the future of bike culture. I would say so. Anyone riding a bike is bike culture. See, that's the thing. Being part of the Spike Collective, I've never seen any of that stuff. Advocacy for safe streets or whatever. Riding a bike is just one of those things that comes with its dangers. You only see changes in neighborhoods that people care about or the squeaky wheel get greased. So for disenfranchised neighborhoods, no one ever heard about bike advocacy. And I guess it's one of those things that everyone can kind of be a part of to make our streets better. Well, you think these bike life kids are going to move into bike advocacy one day? I think so. I mean, if you give them space to do that, but without any structure to anything, it just might be a waste of time to do any bike advocacy. I feel like I'm repeating myself a lot. Is you can't have a space and give it to the people and not have rules and structure. If everyone wants to self-govern themselves, it's not going to work. Well, Luis, you guys are in the same place at the bike kitchen in Boston, right? In Dorchester. You said you don't have the board. Right. But that's mostly because we just haven't gotten around to it. But that's basically one of the next things on the list. Not necessarily a board, but just formalizing it, getting nonprofit 501c3 status, because it does let us formalize a lot of things, any sort of structure so that if people leave the co-op, the mission and the purpose and the bylaws or whatever stay around. But then also just in terms of funding, that's one of the things that's difficult and you want these things to be viable, right? And they've been viable because there's a few key passionate folks doing it. And there's definitely community that's super into it. But if you have a method to fundraise or to make this a more formalized organization, the likelihood of it staying long-term increases. Yeah, I definitely see the benefit of that. We haven't done it because it requires a special set of skills, somebody who knows how to do that. So when you're just going from, these are a group of folks who are all into bikes and all helping other people fix their bikes, that is different than knowing how to set up it and run a nonprofit and have a board and do all this stuff. It's just kind of a next level of complexity. And it's not fun, right? People who do this stuff is like, I like fixing bikes and I like helping people fix bikes and I like building community, right? Writing bylaws and attending board meetings and filling out forms and all this stuff and writing grants, it's totally foreign to kind of what we do and why we got into it. Amber, does the model of Streets Blog have anything that can help you resonate with what they're talking about? Streets Blog is in every city, right? And uh -huh. Yes. It's well, major city. And they are nonprofit, yeah? Yes. And I believe so. I mean, it started off just people into reporting on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. People who like doing that, I guess you could say. Yeah. It's all about people who want to make the streets safer for pedestrians and cyclists and to promote fewer cars and more public transportation and cycling. And so Streets Block focuses on those areas. 
I'm just thinking about how things run when they're nonprofit. And then there's this rule of what percentage of any organization does most of the work. It's like 25% of the people do 75% of the work. Just a few people are keeping it alive, right, Luis? There's definitely like different levels of engagement and passion or just people are busy, right? Some people have more time than others, you know? But yeah, definitely. I would say that's about right. I'd say that a smaller percentage of people probably do more of the work, at least in my experience, that's been the case. Yeah. So how do you go from a few people doing most of the work to distributing that? For example, in the Summer Little by Kitchen case, which has been around a bit longer, anybody who's on staff has, let's say, a certain basic responsibility, and that includes opening the shop. And I think that is generally fairly well distributed. So there's the things that all of the staff members kind of need to do, and I think everybody does that. And then there's, oh, let's reorganize the shop. And there's some people who are into it and have time, and then they'll do that. And then there's some people who just weren't available or didn't have time, and, and that's totally cool. And then there's some people who are like, oh, I really like the website, right? I know how to do the website, so they'll do the website. So I think, especially for the folks that kind of comprise the co-op, as long as you have a basic set of these are the expectations and everybody's doing that, then anything more is kind of above and beyond than just what you're into and what you want to do. And I kind of think that's okay. But you got to have some basic expectation. Yeah, I think so. For example, if a basic expectation is you open the shop once a month, and of course, I've been particularly in a recent period really, really busy, so I haven't been able to do that as often, but I'm backing that up with other work. But if that's the core expectation and you're not doing that or other things for the co-op, then yeah, I would say, yeah, you need to be a part of the community, be a part of the co-op. And if you're not able to, I do think that there has to be like a minimum contribution. Otherwise, it's kind of a name only. Yeah. We are here with Eli Beaker with Common Wheels, Amber Dre with Streets Block Chicago, and Luis Fernandez with the Bike Kitchen in Boston, Dorchester, and Steve Campos with the newly reclaimed bike oven in Northeast LA. And we're talking about organization, right? Organization of bike co-ops. So anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, it's about how much work is expected of people, basically. And I think kind of the message that we've been getting to all show is just about laying out those expectations and then making sure that people follow through and also not expecting more than people can give. Because the thing with the co-op, with the collective, is that everyone's needs are different and everyone's capabilities are different. So, you know, if someone's able to be there every weekend, that's great. And we love that. We support that. We want to grow that. But not everyone's going to be able to hit that. Someone's going to show up once a month, and that's great. I think it's just about when you do show up, what your schedule is, making sure that that's clear and communicated to your group, and then just following through and holding people accountable. And if someone says, hey, I can only be here once a month, they don't show up for a year, you want to reach out. You want to be like, hey, is everything okay? Are you still interested? If you're not and you've moved on, that's great. We're proud of you, but we just need to know because we've got something that we're trying to do for the community here, something that's bigger than all of us. Steve. Yes. You have a group of people over there at the bike oven. Yes. We had our first meeting last week. It's just very hard to keep the balance, I've noticed, especially now with COVID. Everyone is being just indifferent so a lot of people are showing up, which is great. Everyone wants to help out. It's amazing how many people have just been waiting for this place to be reactivated or cleaned up. And so we have a lot of the old volunteers showing up. And I guess the scary part is you can't just give out keys to anyone now. That's what it was before. Like everyone almost had a key. And people were making copies for their friends. And they was using it as a clubhouse to hang out and to do whatnot, you know, and Personally, I want to relinquish all this responsibility as soon as possible because I'm exhausted. I was like, all right, 
I don't know how much longer I can do this by myself now just to kind of set a board in place. I mean, so far, everyone's been really into all the decisions I've been making for the space. And I'm kind of treating it like a construction site where there's like subcontractors and making sure that everyone's involved or like trying to delegate as much work as possible and have people understand that the space is like a construction site. If you don't belong there, let's figure out the best way for you to contribute, but just keep things moving forward and just being productive as much as possible and industrious and then galvanizing those people near us to want to just be like, all right, I could do this and I can do that, you know, instead of just talking about it. So it's great. We're going to have a second meeting next Saturday. We're going to take minutes. We're going to appoint people onto a board. So it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Isn't the LA Bike Kitchen stepping in there a little bit? I mean, I'm pretty sure that they would love to. People are coming in to help us and give us feedback. I reached out to a lot of the cooks at the Bike Kitchen. They've been very helpful in giving ways to structure things and sharing all the information they have, how they operate. And it's just trying to get that all together rather quickly. November 9th, we did the cleanup. I haven't even estimated how many hours it took, but it took a lot of work. So the kitchen is helping out. I guess we're just going to go legit, you know. Hmm. We don't want to be in the gray zone anymore because it just lends to someone just coming in and just taking over the space. I know a lot of other co-ops in L.A. have had the issue where the core group has either moved on and it's just one person standing. And you can't blame them for taking over the space and just making it their own. But that's what happens when people find other things to do. All right, well, we got five minutes or so before we go. Can everybody just go around and give us a bike joy and maybe a bike struggle? This is what the Bike Talk host from Boston, Galen Mook, who's also the ED of Mass Bike, does a bike joy and a bike struggle. You want to go around and say what your bike joy is, everyone? And if you want a bike struggle, you can, but you can leave that off. <laughs> Amber, you having any bike joy in Chicago? Well, I haven't owned a bike myself since I lived in New York. And actually, John Greenfield, who is the editor at Streets Blog Chicago, he gave me that bike. But I'm definitely looking forward to getting more involved with the local bike group in the West Suburbs. Actually, my mother-in-law is part of one. So I'm looking forward to that when the weather gets warmer. All right. Luis, Steve, Eli, anybody got a bike joy burning? I can give one. Bike struggle and bike joy. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we kind of lost our space or we're going to lose our space at the end of the year. And we got the word out. And so many organizations, the Boston Cyclist Union has been great. Bikes Not Bombs has been great. And a bunch of the volunteers kind of got more into it. And we kind of had a quick meeting when we found out about it. And it's like, well, either we stop this or we move forward and everybody was universally, yes, no, this is awesome. We got to make it go. So I think the struggle was almost like a catalyst to say, yes, this is great. And we want to keep it going. And I think we're going to end up landing, hopefully knock on wood. It looks okay so far, but we might be landing in a good place when we lose our space or into another space. So that would say definitely my bike joy. So it's a collective bike joy. Right. All right. Right on. And is it also your struggle? Did you say struggle? Well, the struggle was losing the space right. and this is all going away potentially. And that turning into where we're going to probably end up landing is another nonprofit who's going to give us some space. And they are not involved in the bike community, but they're definitely involved in the local neighborhood. And they visited the bike kitchen to work on their own bike. And then when they found out that we were having issues, they're like, oh, no, that space was awesome. I want that to continue, even though they're not primarily about bikes, but they're about community. And they saw the community aspect of it. Very good. And I want to keep up with everybody. 
Amber, I feel you because I'm not writing these days either. And I have a long list of excuses, but it's weird that I'm hosting the show. But Eli or Steve? Yeah. I think my bike joy is that Commonwealth just had a really great season of open shops. We're taking a needed break right now. I think recognizing when it's good to take a break is also really important for everyone involved in the collective. And it's looking like it's going to be a really great year next year as well. We've got some good programs on the horizon, working with a local community center to do some youth rides and some earn a bike-ish programs. So continuing to build, continuing to outreach, continuing to build community. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I want to keep the conversation going. Steve, Bike Joy? Um, bike Joy would be just seeing all the faces at the bike oven and seeing how hyped and amped people are. That's the most exciting thing. I mean, I like bikes, but I go there because it's a great place to meet other people and just have a place where people belong. That's my Bike Joy of that's going on right now. What did you say, Bike Joy? And what was the other one? Struggle. The struggle. The struggle is just to keep the space and protect it from ourselves, essentially. Ownership, obsession, that's it. Right. Well, thank you very much. I don't know how to structure it, but I want to keep the conversation with the bike collectives and all of you going. And real quick, just where people can find you online. Yeah, so you can find Commonwheels at commonwheels.org. It's got the links to all of our social media and a calendar page about our upcoming events. Amber? Yeah. Streetsblog.org is the website. And then I'm at Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Amber B. Dre. So say hi. Cool. Luis? Yeah. So we're mostly Instagram. I would say dot bike kitchen for the Dorchester bike kitchen and Somerville bike kitchen, obviously for Somerville. Our website's being updated right now, but it's just soon to be bikeoven.com. And then Facebook. Instagram, Bike Oven 2.0. Yes. All right, great. Thanks for coming on, everybody.